Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray first. Father, we would just pray now the words of the hymn that, Lord, hushed my heart to listen while I wait on thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go, my daughter, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of a field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elamelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto a servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. She said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers, among the sheaves, so she came, hath continued, even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art a thirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn." Then she fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Now, we've been following Ruth in her journey from the point in her life, that period of her life, which is really the cost of faithfulness, and now we're entering into just beginning the rewards of faithfulness. Her cost of faithfulness was not insignificant. In order to be faithful to the Lord and to Naomi, she had to follow right in the steps of Abraham who left his country, she had to leave her country. Who left his people, she had to leave her people. Who left her parents, he had to leave her parents. And like Abraham, Ruth also sat down and did what the Lord Jesus Christ said to do when he spoke in, in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. And, and he said it like this. He said, there went great multitudes unto him. So really get this scene in your mind. So we got that picture in our scene. All these people, we can see them. Some of them, they've seen his miracles and they're convinced, wow, we saw the miracles. He's the promised Messiah. He's the son of David. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the Lord God in the flesh. We're gonna go. And I wanna see more miracles. And he spoke to them in John 2, 23. In John 2, 23, when he said, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles, which he did. 
See, that great miracles that he did there, they saw, they believed. Then there was the great multitude of this group that were following him, and that was made up of those who thought, you know, I can personally benefit from following him. I mean, some were fed bread, and they were following him, and he spoke about them also in John 6, 26. In John 6, 26, when he said, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And so that great multitude was made up of those who were following him because they wanted personal benefit and more food. Maybe some, some healing for myself, for my family, for my friends, somebody. I can benefit. I'm following. And then there were those who they loved his teaching. His teaching was so different. Oh, compared to the typical teaching of the scribes, that's like walking through a lumber yard and kicking dust up in the air and trying to breathe. And so it says about his teaching in Mark 1.22, and they were astonished. So what did Ruth do? She did this. No, I won't take your hand. And she put out her hand like this. I will take your hand. As the Lord Jesus Christ says in Proverbs 18 through 21, riches and honor are with me. So she's taking a hand. Durable riches and righteousness. My fruit's better than gold. Yea, then fine gold, my revenue, the choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the path of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit treasures. In substance, I'll fill their treasures. But Ruth knew what it was like to do this and this. And that's what she did. And each voice is heard clearly. And the decision is made. The good decision is I choose Christ. And if my father and my mother are telling me to turn away from Christ, then I choose to love Christ and I choose to hate, my, hate them when I choose Christ. And when contemporaries of sisters and brothers say, be with us who reject Christ, then I choose Christ. I choose to love Christ. If it comes down to saying, I choose Christ. If it means to hate them, I choose Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ wanted this situation to be crystal clear, absolutely crystal clear in the minds of each person in that great multitude. He wanted each person in that great multitude to see clearly the issue of, yes, being able to begin, but no, not being able to finish. And that's the issue. We see this so often in Mexico. In Mexico, as you drive along, you take that drive from Tecate down to Ensenada, the beautiful drive, and you're driving down there, and you see the most beautiful stone wall or the most gorgeous, intricate, wrought iron fence gate. It just looks so nice. And you sit there and you say, well, let me just kind of look at this a little bit. And you drive, you're sort of admiring the beautiful stonework and the, oh, it's so nice. And then all of a sudden, it just stops. <laughs> it's not completed. The wall is like, like, what happened? And they gave up. You know, they had a nice idea. You know, that's the way it is in Mexico. You know, we're trying to get approval for a new cancer therapy, a new cancer therapeutic down there working with the government in Mexico City. We have an employee down there, a lawyer, does nothing more than just work with the ministries to make sure they follow through with what they promised they would do. You see, the intention to build the wall or the fence was fantastic. But the inability to finish stands as a monument to not being able to finish. And to start with Christ and not finish is a tragedy. So that three times in these verses, he spoke of the issue of, of being able to begin, but not being able to finish. 
Verse 28, intending to build a tower, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Verse 29, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it. Verse 30, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And so the Lord Jesus Christ says to these great multitudes for them, would you just stop where you are, just stop and think before you start following me. And he uses this phrase twice in verse 28, sitteth not down first in verse 31, sitteth not down first. First step, it's so tragic when he says that, sitteth not down first for the person of action who wants to move right now. This is not easy to do. It's not easy to sit down first. But the Lord is saying, stop, don't come and begin until you sit down first. I want you to finish. I want you to finish, but you got to know the cost that may come your way. So settle it. Sit down and count the cost. You're going to love Christ. You're going to follow him, even if it comes down to hating your mother and your father because they force you to. Even if it comes down to hating your wife because she forces you to. Children, brothers, sisters, your own life. That may say, I don't want, even if it comes to that, the cost to love and follow Christ may come to hating yourself. The cost to love and follow Christ may come to giving up all your treasures, possessions on earth. Sit down first, settle it, think about it, and then come. But he says this, I want to tell you one thing. Whatever cost you think there may be, I'll make it up to you and more. It is worth it. Whatever the cost is, he made it very clear, it's worth it. It's worth the cost because he said in Mark 10, 29, Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there's no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. So God is a good accountant and he's got his pencil out. He's got his book out. He says, I'm keeping track of everything you lost and I'll make it up to you. That's his promise. And that's exactly where Ruth was. Ruth was exactly here. That's what Ruth was. She was here. She chose to love Jehovah Jesus. And, and she was going to follow Naomi back to the people of Jehovah Jesus. And she said no to her people. And she said no to her parents. And she said no to her country. And they were all crying out to Ruth with the hand that was coming up. Ruth, come back. Ruth, turn back to us. Turn away from this Jehovah Jesus. Don't follow him. Go with us. And Ruth had to sit down first and count the cost. And she saw the hand of her ancestors coming out of that grave, reaching for her, saying, take my hand. She heard that voice, Ruth, come back. Ruth, don't follow. Ruth, turn away from Naomi. Ruth, turn away from Jehovah Jesus. Ruth, don't turn your back on us. Ruth, don't turn your back on your country. Don't turn your back on your people. Don't turn your back on your father and your mother. It's not too late, Ruth. Ruth, turn away from Naomi. Turn away from God. Turn back to us. And Ruth sat down. She sat down first and she counted the cost. And after sitting down, Ruth got up and said, I'm going to be faithful. 
I'm going to be faithful to Naomi. I'm going to be faithful to Jehovah Jesus. And I'm going to be unfaithful, if you will, to my father, my mother, my people, my country, so that I can love and follow Jehovah Jesus. That's the cost of faithfulness. You know, this is the Sunday before the next Sunday, which is baptism. Baptism here at the chapel, the essential meaning of baptism. If a person wants to capture the essential meaning of baptism, then that person will mean by their baptism that they first sat down and counted the cost of faithfulness. They counted the cost of faithfulness to love Christ, to follow Christ. And that person, by being baptized, is saying, by my baptism, I mean to say that if to love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ costs me my relationship with my father, my mother, my spouse, my brothers, my sisters, I choose Christ. That's what it means. By my baptism, I mean to say, if to love and follow Christ costs me all my possessions in my very life, I choose Christ. That's what it means. Baptism only has meaning if a person means by his baptism that he's counted the cost of faithfulness. Faithfulness to follow Christ, and he's willing to pay the price when it comes to choosing Christ above all else. Baptism is a statement It's a statement of a lifelong dedication of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been right here with Ruth. It's just like Ruth is going to be baptized here in chapter 1, in verse 16. You know, the the person about to baptize Ruth says to Ruth, Ruth, before I baptize you, what statement do you want to make to the people? And it's just like Ruth takes the microphone, you know, like little Cos did last Sunday. He takes the microphone with a booming voice. He declares the word of God. So Ruth, you know, she takes the microphone, and before she's baptized, she says, chapter 1, verse 9, my testimony is, whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God, my God, where you die, I'll die. That's her testimony. We can hear the minister say, Ruth, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of Elohim the Father, Elohim the Son, Elohim the Holy Spirit. And down she goes down into the water, and up she comes, renouncing her old Moabite people, renouncing her old Moabite country, her old Moabite gods, embracing her new people, her new country, her new Jehovah Jesus as her God. And when she comes out of the water, we all applaud, and we sing, oh, happy day when Jehovah Jesus washed her sins away. (laughs) So with her conversion, Ruth is now in Jehovah Jesus, And being in Jehovah Jesus means she's a new creature. She's not the old Ruth. She's a new creature, and Jehovah Jesus just says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he or she, we have to make this, you know, politically correct. (laughs) He's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things, everything has become new. Old things have passed away out of Ruth's life. All the old things become new. And one of the things that's become new is prayer to Jehovah Jesus. And when Ruth leaves Naomi to go glean corn, she says to Naomi in verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. She said unto go, my daughter. See, when Ruth spoke about finding a person in whose sight she would find grace? That was a prayer. That was Ruth's prayer. And when Ruth said to Naomi, we can hear Ruth saying to Naomi, 
Naomi, I pray to Jehovah Jesus for him to bring me to a person in whose sight I shall find grace. And when Ruth goes out that day, we can see Ruth saying, I pray to Jehovah Jesus to bring me to the person who, in whom I'm going to find grace. I shall locate that person in whose sight I shall find grace because my God's faithful. And life was exciting for Ruth, this new life. Old things passed away. New life was exciting because she was excited that day as she set out that day, listening for God's answer, looking for God's answer to her prayer in the morning. That picture of Ruth, praying, setting out that day, listening and looking for the answer from God to her prayer is the same as we see with who of all people? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, he dreams a very graphic dream. Pharaoh is so desperate that he's willing to turn to help to a person who is despised, who is rejected, who is acquainted with grief, He's willing to turn to that person, just like the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53.3. It says he's despised. He was rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We did like this. Can stand look at him. He doesn't wear our faces from him. Because he is despised. We esteemed him not too much. That's the description that fit Joseph. This Hebrew Joseph, he was despised. He was in a Hebrew. He was an abomination to the Egyptians. As a prisoner, he's rejected of men. As a prisoner, he suffered. It says his feet were put in the stocks. They hurt his feet with irons. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with graves. As an unshaven, dirty-clothed prisoners, the Egyptians hid, as it were, their face from him. He was despised. They esteemed him not. But Pharaoh's so desperate. He's so desperate for help. He says, I'm willing to turn to the despised, forsaken Joseph, the Hebrew, rejected of man. I'm willing to turn to the man of sorrows, the one who's acquainted with grief, and the one who all the Egyptians are hiding his face from. I'm so desperate. And so Pharaoh never would have turned to Joseph unless he was desperate enough. And no one turns to the Lord Jesus Christ unless they're desperate enough. And, you know, I brought some tangerines out there. You guys should take some tangerines. They're very good but you'll be turned off when you look at the skin of those tangerines. <laughs> I got to give you some fair warning. They are ugly. <laughs> they, 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 they're all wrinkled up and stuff, you know. But anyway, that's just the outward appearance, but they are sweet on the inside. And the fact that, that Pharaoh was willing to turn to Joseph just shows how desperate Pharaoh was. Pharaoh's reaching out. He's in a state of prayer. Pharaoh's in a state of prayer, and God answers those two-word prayers. Help me. That's the prayer God answers. And so Pharaoh, he calls for Joseph. He says, Joseph, help me. And the word comes down to the prisoner. And so we can just imagine, we're saying, send up the prisoner, Joseph. <laughs> Pharaoh's calling for the despised Hebrew. <laughs> and so they rushed Joseph all along. Hurry up, get shaved already. Put on some clean clothes. Try not to smell so bad. You know? And the first words that Joseph hears from the most powerful man on the earth in Genesis 41, 15, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I've dreamed a dream. There's none that I can interpret it. And I've heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. After years of being a slave, he's a prisoner. He hears, Joseph hears the king tell him that he's heard that Joseph is the man. 
And when Joseph hears that, Joseph is faced with a great temptation. Let's see, that's not a bad title. You know, dream interpreter for the Pharaoh? Yeah, that's pretty good. Better than prisoner. You know, so, so he's tempted to just kind of just sort of like kick back a little bit. Let me just kind of let that praise stick on me a little bit. Man, I like that title. Yeah, it look good, you know. Chief dream interpreter. I think it looks nice. Yeah. And, and he's under tremendous temptation. He thinks how he, now at last, he has a chance to be elevated to the position of chief dream interpreter, out of bondage, out of prison, just accept the praise, just accept the title of being the man. That's what he called them. And Joseph is standing here before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, who's consumed with this need to have his dream interpreted. And Joseph hears the Pharaoh, he prays on him with the words of, thou canest understand a dream to interpret it. He suddenly Joseph is cast into a hot refining pot, into a melting furnace that's described in Proverbs 27, 21. As the fining pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. And Joseph has just been told that he's got what Pharaoh needs, the ability to interpret dreams, and the temptation for Joseph just to sit back and just, I'm kind of enjoying this limelight here. It's not bad. Could be worse. You know, Pharaoh has said, well, you're the man. It's real tempting for Joseph to say, well, yes, Pharaoh, I mean, I don't want to boast, but I am pretty good at it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you see there was this baker, this butler, and I did a pretty good job interpreting their dreams. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not bad. Although there was a stream of my brothers and my father bowing down to me. I wasn't so good at that one. But anyway, but not Joseph. He doesn't do any of that. Joseph does something wonderful. See, when the limelight is pointed on him, Joseph gets a big mirror and he points it up to God and he replies back to Pharaoh. His first words to Pharaoh in Genesis 41, 16, Joseph answers Pharaoh and said, it's not in me. It's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You know, you got to see what he said. Joseph answers Pharaoh saying, it's not in me. Elohim shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You know, Elohim. Who is Elohim? I mean, you know, Pharaoh, you mean Ra, the sun god? No, I don't mean Ra, I mean Elohim. You mean the, the, the myriad of these other gods? No, I mean Elohim. It's the first time Pharaoh has heard of Elohim. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, Joseph, you're the man. And Joseph's quick to answer says, no, Pharaoh, Elohim's to God. Because he says, Elohim's to God. You know, Joseph, you're quite the man, Genesis 41, 15. Genesis 41, 16. Joseph replies, no, Pharaoh, Elohim's quite the God. And at that point, when Joseph said to Pharaoh that God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace, Joseph could have said, hearest thou not, Pharaoh? It's God who will answer your prayer for help. Hearest thou not, Pharaoh? It's not Joseph who's going to answer your prayer for help. That was the hearest thou not message that Joseph was giving to Pharaoh when he said God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And then Joseph interprets the dream. Joseph is the person who interprets Pharaoh's dream. And after the interpretation, then the question's still on the table. Hearest thou not, Pharaoh? The question is, after Pharaoh started with, Joseph will give Pharaoh an answer. And after Pharaoh heard Joseph say, no, God will give Pharaoh an answer. And after watching Joseph give Pharaoh an answer, the question was, hearest thou not, Pharaoh? Did you hear what I said, Pharaoh? 
And even though Pharaoh saw Joseph give him an answer, did Pharaoh hear Joseph when Joseph said to Pharaoh, God was going to give Pharaoh an answer? And the hearest thou not question was answered when Pharaoh said, in Genesis 41, 38 through 39, Pharaoh said unto his servants, can you picture the scene? He gets his interpret, he gets interpretation. Wow. He's impressed. He said, that's right. And the servant said, yep, that's right, boss. And so then he turns to his servant and says, what do you think? Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there's none so discreet as wise as thou art. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. 